Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hours later, Guilfoyle awoke with a start. His befogged mind had registered something, but he didn't know what. He'd drained the rest of the gin before he felt the sharp pain in his left hand. As he jerked the hand up to his mouth, he heard something scuttle away. He threw the bottle after the sound when he tasted blood on the back of his hand. It began to throb, and the taste of his own sticky blood made him wretch. He rolled onto his side as the gin began to pump from his body and laid there while his body shook. Suddenly, he felt the pain again in his outstretched left hand. He shrieked when he realised something was gnawing at the tendons. Rats! His mind screamed the words. Rats! Eating me alive! God! God, help me! Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every podcast, we like to take a book out into the wild to see if the world of fiction matches up to the real world. Hello, I'm Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and immersive producer, producing immersive and interactive fiction. And I'm Lloyd Shepard. I'm a digital producer and writer producing non-immersive fictions that you just pick up and read. We slightly, we slightly got the giggles there with uh, that reading from James Herbert's The Rats. You're meant to be terrified. You're meant to be terrified, but it is, it is terrifying. You are, listener. We're going to spare you all the gory bits. Well, we thought we'd read you a bit that led into a gory bit to make clear that we're not going to read out any gory bits. No, and they get they're pretty gory. They get pretty gory. This is James Herbert's first novel. It's about, obviously... Rats. Rats. Uh, and a massive outbreak of the, a new mutant strain of killer rats in the Huge east end of well. London. They're sort of two, uh, two or three foot long. Yeah, massive rats. Massive rats. Um, it's also, so we're going on a bit of an east end adventure for this trip. Mm. We went on an amazing walk. We're going to cover places in Whitechapel, yep. uh, Stepney. Yeah. And we're going to end up at the canal, the Regent's Canal, yeah. uh, on, on the, the boundary between Poplar. Stepney and Poplar. We're actually going to finish up at the Lock Keeper's Cottage, which is ground yeah, zero for the rats. I wasn't happy to know that that was a real place. Which you honest. weren't. 
Um, but I wanted to do this book because I remembered it as being an absolute thrill ride when I was a, a teenager, yeah. you know, a young teenager. People, it was the kind of book that people read and go, "Have you read the rats? It's yeah. really gruesome." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But you, you, I mean, you, it came out in '74. I think you probably read it. Did you say you read it pretty soon after it came out? Oh yeah, it was because obviously I, by that stage I was well entrenched in boarding school, and yeah. uh, that was very much a, a book to be passed around in the dormitory. Yeah, very <laughs> mainly good. because obviously we, I think then well, how old was I then? Yes, it must be 10 or 11. The main issue in that book for 11-year-old boys all huddled up together in a dormitory was how many times the rats attacked your private parts. <laughs> they do seem to have an uncanny ability to go straight for the gonads. Which was obviously the most terrifying thing you could think of aged 11. <laughs> Absolutely. Somebody coming for your private parts. Nothing more Especially scary. in a boarding school. The old warriors used to gather every night on one of the few remaining bomb sites left in the east end of London. It was an old churchyard, just off the busy main road of Whitechapel and quite near Aldgate East Underground Station. It was thick with shrubbery and littered with open tombs. A single tower was the only remains of the once majestic church. That night, six of them had gathered, safe in the knowledge that they couldn't be seen from the road. All were slowly destroying their insides by their incessant drinking of methylated spirits. All had reached the depths of despair, had given up the will to exist with the rest of the world. They rarely spoke to one another. Their tormented minds were too occupied with their own misfortunes to concern themselves with anybody else's. This is a bomb site uh, of St Mary Matphalon. Um, St Mary Matphalon. Very famous church, actually. So we are in what is now called Altab Alley Park. Altab Alley Park. Just which, off the Whitechapel Road. But we're in the east end of London, um, and uh, we are between Oldgate East and Whitechapel underground stations, uh, south side of Whitechapel Road. Um, I can see the Lloyds building from here. You can see the city and the NatWest Tower. You're on the edge of the city. There the was gateway a to the east end. The reason this is no longer called St Mary's Churchyard is a rather sad reason. Uh, it's named for a, um, a young Bangladeshi textile worker. Yes, Altab Ali. Who was killed in 1978, I think. That's right. Uh, in a racial attack. So the church, was, the church was, was, was burnt out by an incendiary device in the Second World War. Yes, bombed out, but the tower was still there. The tower As was mentioned still in there. that reading, yeah. the tower was still there but derelict. That but was then cleared in the 1950s, okay, and it became St Mary's Park. So it was rededicated. So after it's probably the death worth saying, James Herbert grew up just around the corner from here. Okay, we think. Yeah, um, and uh, presumably he played in the bomb site. Yes, with when the tower was still when there. the tower was still here, and actually has not actually noticed that by the time the book is set. Well, if we think it's set in the if we sent, if we think it's late sixties, early seventies, there was no, no tower here. If you come to this park, actually, the, the the main sort of area of seating is the outline of the old church. Yeah, uh, definitely, James Herbert has been here, probably as a child, played in here. But in I don't the think he ever came. He came back to check up his check the, oh, the check his memories. Gone. The tower's gone. Yeah, <laughs> the tower's gone. Uh, but it sounds like in the when he was playing here, when it was a bomb site, there, there would have been a lot more kind of masonry and rubble lying around, a bit more, bit more foliage, bushes, shrubs, 
they crawl into the bushes, don't they, when they're being attacked by the by right. the rats? Yeah, yeah. It's That's a really, really gruesome scene. This is inter- This place is interesting because it combines all sorts of themes of the book, right? It's got because of the stuff that's happened here, it's got the racial aspect, uh, it's close to the scenes of the Ripper murders, it's close to where Herbert grew up. Um, it's definitely rat's country. It's what? Rat's country. And it's rat's country. Well, the one thing that doesn't change, so you've had the church here, then you have St Mary's Park, then you have Alta-Bally Park. Um, it doesn't matter, a bomb drops on it. it do, you know, there's a racist killings. It doesn't matter what you do. The drinkers and smokers will always be here. And they're, they're out today. It's a Monday morning. <laughs> There's something about certain spaces yeah. that once you've got a tin in your hand, yeah. you're drawn to that place. So James Herbert, Wolf of the Rats, uh, born in April the 8th, 1943. War baby. Third son of an East End street trader. He talked about his family living at the back of Petticoat Lane which is a, a road that runs up through the East End. And he described it in... Um, I've got a fantastic book here, which is, is full of absolute gems, called By Horror Haunted, James Herbert, edited by Stephen Jones. It's basically a hagiography. It's a whole bunch of people telling telling you that James Herbert is really, really great. Okay. And it was it, just an indication of how massive he was in the 80s in, in terms of publishing numbers, because his publisher obviously commissioned this to keep him happy. Right. So there's little bits of him getting up in the morning describing his breakfast. Uh, what we lived in was a slum. This is James Herbert talking. It's not, it's me talking, but it's James <laughs> Herbert's words. Are you doing your East End It was a very now? narrow street, cobblestoned, only gas lighting in those days. Two doors from our house, there was a little alleyway where Jack the Ripper cut up one of his victims. Mm. We moved into this slum because it was due for clearance, and we thought we could get a nice council flat. Well, they didn't knock it down until 14 years later, so I spent 14 years in that place. Yeah, so he was there till 1957. Mm. So I reckon that might be Miller's Court he's talking about, which is where Mary Jane Kelly was killed in the 9th of November, oh, 1888. You mentioned that when we were in the Yeah, because um, the, the, the woman who dies in the, in the park, in the ch- graveyard, is called Mary Kelly. So obvious kind of connection there. Yes. Now, if it is Miller's Court, that means he lived on Dorset Street. Now, Dorset Street has got the reputation of being the worst street in London. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, oh, we didn't it, know that. Disappeared in, the north side of it disappeared in 1920 when they were building Spitalfields Market, but the south side wasn't demolished until the 60s. Okay. Um, he attended a local primary school, got a scholarship to St. Aloysius College in Highgate. He went to school, not in the East End. No, that's interesting, isn't yeah. it, that he headed north and out, uh, out of it. Um, and at 16, uh, he, uh, so that's about 1959, he went to Hornsey College of Art. Yeah. Got his first job in a small advertising agency by pretending to be someone else. <laughs> Joined a big ad agency two years later as a typographer and then was promoted to art director. Then he was group head there at, by 20, age 26 in 1969. Yeah, he's very much an ad man, 60s ad man. 60s ad man. A yeah. couple of years later, started work on The Rats. There you go. So that's uh, the quick James Herbert biography. Um, if you go on YouTube, there's a very good um, This Is Your Life episode of This Is Your Life with James Herbert. 
which I enjoyed very much. Um, two things. One is that he's got two brothers, and, yeah. it, and and one of his brothers did a little recording yeah. from from the fruit and veg stand. Yes, that he was still running while yeah, yeah. while his brother was, you know, multi millionaire novelist. Yeah, his big brother was still running the family stall. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. He does say in also that he in there. I think he says that, that in that Dorset Street where he, where he grew up, he said he could hear. The cats and the rats fighting. Um, right, yeah, he does talk outside, about outside because yeah. the rats are coming to get all his fruit and veg. His parents' fruit and veg. Uh, so that so in his childhood, he said at night that's what he'd hear is the yeah. scrabbling of the rats yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the and the, the yowling good, of the cats. So it's that's good. quite good, isn't it? It's it? good, that's isn't a good thing. it? Um, I saw an interview in the Guardian with him uh, from the nineties when he's you know by then he's very successful. He does seem to go more as he gets older into the idea of being the sort of father of horror yeah. and uh, and that being his brand, as yeah. it were. Um, I suppose that's the advertising side of him, is that he becomes a, a bit of a brand. But it doesn't stop him being a bit um, chippy about how people, how critics have um, have been mean to him. He, um, so he's, he's interviewed in the mid-90s, so 20 years after The Rats has come out, He's still rankled by Martin Amos's review of it in The Observer <laughs> in 1974. Martin Amos wrote, By page 20, the rats are slurping up the sleeping baby after the brave Bow Wow has fought to the death to protect its charge. Enough to make a rodent wretch, undeniably, and enough to make any human pitch this book aside. <laughs> wow. Well, obviously, Herbert went on to say, oh, well, I sold a million copies, so what sort yeah. of stuff? What are you going to do about it? But he was he, relevant to us is that uh, we've just done Woman in Black by Susan Hill. So um, so this is in the mid-90s. This is still 15 or 10 years after Susan Hill's success. Um, he's saying, Herbert need not worry too much that he still lacks literary cachet. I'm not into high literature, but I think all my books are literate. Susan Hill writes ghost stories. I make no comment about those ghost stories, but because she is part of the literati, they are elevated. <laughs> so he has just made a comment. Shall we, um, shall we go to school in the East End, oh, unlike yeah. James Herbert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, James, John, Herbert, this is your life. And it started Hackney Hospital in London's East End on April the 8th, 1943. You're the third son of fruit and veg market stallholders, <laughs> Herbie and Kitty. Well, your parents' uh, fruit stall is a family tradition that's been carried on by your eldest brother, Peter. Well, hello, Jimmy. Oh. Remember years ago, you used to go down Ridley Road? I used to buy the comics. I used to buy one and borrow a few. <laughs> and I used to take your pictures. See the uh, X films, spunk you in. And the horror films, H. Don't make them now, not like that. Speak so well. And uh, I think it was an instigator of you um, doing what you do now. Yeah, I think And so. if you could see your way clear, because the game's a bit hard at the moment. <laughs> I'd be very thankful. Have a lovely night tonight, and I hope to see you later on. Sir, sir, in the playground, there's one of them things. He gesticulated towards the window, his eyes wide, smiling in his excitement. The whole class rushed as one towards the windows. Back to your seats, Harris roared, and strode quickly to a window. He drew in a sharp breath at what he saw. There wasn't one of them things, but several. As he watched, more joined the first bunch. Huge black rats. The rats. They crouched in the playground, staring at the school building. More, then more. Close all the windows, he ordered. 
It's the attack on the school. He doesn't name the school. There's a, there's a few candidates around here, but there's one in particular that is in the right location in terms of the canal. Yeah, uh, where the rats come from, as if they're going to attack. But also Keo uh, gets bitten in an earlier bit. Keogh's the school kid. The canal, one of the kids. Uh, Harris, the teacher, takes him to London the, Hospital. the hospital outpatients. So we've just walked down Stepney Way, yeah. essentially from the old... London Hospital outpatients to the school. So we like this school. Oh, yeah, very and much it's, so. uh, It leads then straight to the canal. Uh, Stepney All Saints School. Yeah. It was formerly known as the Sir John Cassis Foundation and Redcoat School. It was actually founded in the uh, early 18th century by Sir John Cass. Um, well, the thing about him is he was a big, big player in the early Atlantic slave trade. That's where his money came from. That's where his money yeah. came from. And uh, so they changed the name of the school in uh, 2020 in the... Uh, Aftermath of the George Floyd murder. Oh, right, OK. Uh, they changed it to Stepney All Saints School. And it's been redeveloped, as a lot of big secondary schools have in London. Yeah. Uh, still got a bit of an old building around the back, which you can imagine having kids screaming at the windows. Going, there's rats in the black sure, rats! Sure, 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 there's rats. So the rats attack, and Harris continues his mystifying... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Journey is the kind of the central figure in the uh, in the rat Action attacks. Action man in London. Um, One man against the city of he's rats. A, he's an art teacher, isn't he? He is. Which grudgingly. is interesting. When James Herbert obviously went to art college and then was an art director for a uh, yeah. advertising agency. So Harris is clearly, you know, Harris equals Herbert, right? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 He's coming from King's Cross this to is... sort it out. One thing I do want to talk about with this school, the Stepney School. Do, do you know about the Stepney School strike? Of no. 1971. No. This is a very good story. So this is this guy must be the model for Harris, to okay. my mind. Right? This is about, a in May 1971, Chris Searle, a young English teacher, was sacked by the governors of Sir John Cass Foundation School in Stepney for publishing Stepney Words, a collection of his students' poems. Searle had encouraged his pupils to write about their lives and their neighbourhood... In response to Searle's dismissal on the 27th of May 1971, 800 pupils, including those from neighbouring schools, went on strike, with banners aloft and chanting, We shall overcome in the pouring rain. They refused to return to school until Chris Searle was reinstated. Um, he was reinstated um, in 1973. It took to sort of 18 months. 1971, these kids were encouraged to write poems about their own experience and they wrote about deprivation and the yeah. terrible housing yeah. and violence and they wrote about probably rats and stuff. Yeah. And obviously the school did not like it no. that they were allowed to express themselves about what it wasn't good PR. No. Um, so they sort of banned the poems and kicked the teacher out. Let it flow, Joe. Let your feelings speak for you. Let the people know what you know. They're the honest words of young EastEnders which got this former teacher the sack. Chris Searle taught English at Sir John Cass School in Stepney back in the 70s and encouraged pupils to write poetry about their lives. They looked at their area, they saw what was good about it, but they also saw what was bad about it, and that's what came out in their poetry. Quite a lot of their poems talked about bad housing because at that time housing in this area was quite grim for some families. 
So The Rats, published in 1974. 1974. Now, we quite like to give some context to these books by talking about what else was going on the year they came out. Because we have done 1974 before, but um, yeah. in, a, in a series, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, of yeah. course, came out. So another book with practically no women in it. You said to try and keep it light. <laughs> well, only because we've Given got some, the books we've got some grim. rather grim stuff to come. So Yeah, but I think um, it is quite grim, just to set the, the tone, that in, in the three-day week, yeah. miners' strikes, IRA bombs going off all over the place, yeah. Guildford, Birmingham, miscarriages of justice, two general elections in 1974. Yeah. Um, Twice the fun. So let's just chill out and talk about music, shall we? Yeah, go on. Um, 1974... A golden age for glam rock. It was. It was very much a glam rock year. Um, mud. Uh, the cat crept in. And Tiger Feet. The biggest selling single of the year was Tiger Feet. Tiger mud. Feet. Band on the Run. Come on. Yeah. Band on the Run. Second biggest selling album of the year. After, yeah. you know what the first biggest selling album of the year was? No, what was that? Dark Side of the Moon, surely. Carpenters, the singles. Oh. And do you know what everybody was doing in 1974? What? Everybody. Go on. Everybody was kung fu fighting. They were. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I've, the, other, uh, the other big thing that's relevant to rats, I think, and I want your opinion on this. Okay. Um, what is a womble? A womble? Yeah, remember you're a womble. Yeah. Is a womble a form of rat? Oh, that's a good shout. That goes around cleaning up rubbish. A cleaning up rat. And doing good things. Oh, I've never thought of it like that before. They are quite ratty to the look The Wombles at. by James Herbert. The <laughs> Well, here, crossover. The Wombles meet yeah. the rats. Underground, overground, wombling free. Tearing your tendons and <laughs> biting your knees. Um, well, there's some debate as to whether they're bears as opposed to When you rodents. say there's some debate, what have you been reading? <laughs> well, I'm starting it. <laughs> I see. I'm starting, starting an internet meme about whether they're Womble, bears. rat okay. or bear. All right. Um, they were big, though. The Wombles were big. They were, they were, they had a couple of big selling singles in 1974. Well, she, she started. She it was essentially glam rock, though, wasn't it? When you well, listen to it. Remember you're a womble. Remember you're a womble. Remember, remember, remember what a womble, womble, womble you are. <laughs> it's very memorable. Yeah, very she good. started publishing those stories, Elizabeth Beresford, in 1968. Uh, Just that she, so she's. Lord Lucan disappeared. Lord Lucan disappeared. That's a good one, isn't it? And John Stonehouse was found. Do you know that happened in the same year? That's a bit weird, isn't it? Uh, there, were, there were some ideas that, that John Stonehouse was Lord Lucan. Well, the Australian police thought he was. That's why they arrested him. They <laughs> thought he was Lord Lucan. That's just so ridiculous. John Stonehouse was a British MP who faked his own death and then disappeared because he, 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 he was bankrupt, wasn't he? Did he run out of money or something? Uh, Lucan. No, yeah. Stonehouse. Oh, Stonehouse, yeah. Lord Lucan disappeared around his nanny being murdered. And yes, he had still, a horrible gambling Still never been well. found. Yeah, well, I think he just zoomed out in his speedboat into the channel and fell over, didn't he? Yeah. I think that's... that's. Um, the other ones I've got on the publication, Jaws. Oh, really? Peter Beresford? P- uh, no, Bench- Benchley. Benchley. Peter Benchley. Elizabeth Beresford. <laughs> Yeah, Elizabeth very that, yeah, I always get those. No, two that's good. Up. That's good. That, that that was a that was the second Wombles book. <laughs> uh, High Windows was published this year. Oh, was Philip it? Larkin, yeah. Dogs of War, Foresight. <sighs> Dogs of War. I loved that film. Uh, that book. I can remember that book. <laughs> Thought you would. Now we, it, yeah. So we've had some fun with that, but actually, it was also there was also some pretty dark stuff going on, particularly in the East End. Yes, uh, we mentioned we opened this in Altair Valley Park. It's, it's worth dwelling a little bit on who Altair Valley was and why it was important. 
so Al Tabali was a. Uh, I, I'm getting this from a fantastic article on Open Democracy, OpenDemocracy.net, um, called uh, well, it's called the racist killing of Al Tabali 40 years ago today by David Rosenberg. So Al Tabali moved to London in 1969, worked in Hanbury Street off Brick Lane. Uh, the Bengali community was already expanding at that time. Mm, uh, very much so. And moving into where the, sort of the old Jewish immigrant population... I mean, that part of the world had been solidly Jewish for a long time, and that lots of the Jewish people had moved up to North London. Yep. Um, uh, Altabali moved in and worked as a teenager with his uncle. He returned to Bangladesh in 1975 for five months to be married and came back to England. His bride stayed, stayed in Bangladesh. She never came to the UK because on the 4th of May 1978... Uh, he was still only uh, 24 years old at that point. Wow. Uh, he was walking home from work along Adler Street alongside St. Mary's Gardens, which is the churchyard. He was attacked and stabbed by three teenagers mm. whose minds had been poisoned by racists. Later at their trial, they would say they attacked Ali because he was a, quote-unquote, packy. Um, now, the day he died was yeah. local election day. Yes, it was. In, in 1978. Um, yeah. And again, as, as, as in 1974... The far-right National Front, which had only been formed in 1967, it ran in every ward in Tower Hamlets, and it gained nearly 10% of the votes. Ali's death caused a huge uh, consternation and anger in the in the Bangladeshi community, and there was a march. There was a march across... Ten days later, local restaurants and workshops across Tower Hamlets closed as 7,000 Bengalis marched to Downing Street and Hyde Park. They marched silently in the rain behind a vehicle carrying Altab Ali's coffin. The East End is changing out of all recognition at this time. Yeah, A lot of people are moving out. There's a character who says in the book, the poor woman whose baby gets, uh, gets taken to pieces by the rats, they'd been lucky to get a place so quickly, dingy though it was. It was in a bad area, too near the docks, but they'd lived in Poplar most of their lives anyway, so it didn't make much difference. And it certainly wasn't a slum. Paula made sure of that. Other houses in the street may have been neglected by their tenants, but hers was spotless. Soon, though, when they saved enough money, they'd move out to Barking or Ilford, not too far from Mike's job at the garage. Now, that's a lot of what's going on at the moment. A lot of the white families are moving into Essex, moving east. Yeah. And a lot of uh, 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 immigrant families are moving into the East End. Herbert sort of alludes to that a couple of times. He talks about the coloureds a few times yeah but he doesn't really talk about that happening you know it's like he, he's there's just, one point where he says that coloured people don't come in from they're at West Ham and they don't take the tube they don't further pass in. West Ham now Keogh who's in his class and gets bitten by a rat Harris says he was halfway through the first lesson when Keogh walked in he wore his usual uniform of short sleeved check shirt braces holding his trousers at half mast showing the full length of his heavy boots so Keogh I would say is a skinhead. Yeah, I didn't spot that. That's very good. Um, yeah, and, interesting. Uh, there's a real, you know, the culture of racism. You know, you saw a skinhead in 1974. You basically saw a racist. Um, well, just just about that history of uh, racism, it just goes deep in the East End, which I think, and I think it's, it really does inform the book. It's just that I, I hadn't realised that actually the first sort of MP in 1902, the MP for that area, Major Evans Gordon, claimed that not a day passes but English families are ruthlessly turned out to make room for foreign invaders. The rates are burdened with the education of thousands of foreign children. He said that in 1903. Yeah. And I have to say the other thing about that, about um, uh, disruption, uh, about they, they, they regularly went down um, Brick Lane and smashed up Pakistani they did. shops. They did. But quite once they did it 
just after Enoch Powell had come to the area to make a speech. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club podcast. If you support us on Patreon, you can get this podcast ad-free, and you can also get part two straight away rather than having to wait for a week. Just go to Patreon and search for Curiously Specific and sign up. If you subscribe to our Patreon account, you also get a bunch of other stuff. You get our show notes, which are very detailed, and they have more information about all the places we've been to. You'll also get a whole set of pictures and videos that we take while we're on our adventures. Uh, and we also write some extra posts about uh, things around relating to the books that uh, we only put on Patreon. It's quite a lot of stuff on there that you just don't see if you're uh, not a subscriber. Yes, and we'll be drawing maps as well and giving you a guide so that you can uh, use our material to have your own adventure um, out in the East End. Mm, won't that be fun? Yeah, won't that be fun? Uh, so check out patreon.com, search for Curiosity Specific, uh, and uh, you'll get access to all this good stuff. But for now, back to the podcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He was greeted by Foskins himself when he arrived at the address he'd been given. It had turned out to be Poplar Town Hall, a naturally enough base for operations, he supposed. Foskins led him to a large assembly room, the walls covered with enlarged maps of the area, Diagrams of the underground and sewage networks, blow-ups of the giant rats themselves, vivisected as well as whole, even photographs of their spores. 
The room was a hive of activity, but Foskins took him over to a group of men gathered around a table in quiet, unexcited discussion. So we are... Poplar Town Hall. It's on the Bow Road. This is the Bow Road, the isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. It's a big old road. It's very noisy. Yeah, big, low traffic. It's probably worth saying, Poplar Town Hall isn't really in Poplar. No, it's in Bow, mate. It's in Bow. Obviously. That's, and it's not, it's not the Town Hall anymore. It stopped being the Town Hall in 1965 when Tower Hamlets Council was formed. Uh, if the Rats is set any time after 1965... It should be a, a story about Tower Hamlets. He's got his Town Hall wrong. Yeah. Um, it was still used by council uh, operations, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, until the 80s or something. I think okay. they still used it as council offices. It's rather a lovely... It just wasn't the town hall. It's rather a lovely 1930s building. They claim it's the first uh, big municipal building in Britain built in the modernist style, i.e. Well, sort of slightly sort of... It is horribly neglected now. It's late 1930s. It's got some amazing carvings on the front of yep. sort of workers... Yeah, uh, sort of. It's almost kind of like you know Russian realist yep. uh, artwork on the front. It's really spectacular. Yeah, um, it's worth it. It's worth it. if you like if you're into architecture, it, the outside's worth having a quick look at. It's worth having a look. Get the get the uh, the DLR to um, Bow Church. Uh, don't get it to Poplar because <laughs> it's a very it's long walk. It, and to uh, be fair, it, there was a Poplar Town Hall on Poplar High Street, but not. And then in the 1920s, it was it moved out here. Moved out of here, which is sort of just a very clear indication about how messy the whole use of land was. In well, that also time. a clear indication that James Herbert isn't too fussy about where he sets up operations, right? In his book. So after their meeting, they have their meeting at Poplar Town Hall, and uh, Harris remains again mystifyingly at the centre of everything yeah. going on. Um, and they say. They crossed the road from the town hall and entered a pub just opening its doors for the early evening rush. Their eyes adjusted to the gloom reluctantly after the bright sunshine of light afternoon. What will you have, Foskins asked, reaching for his wallet. Keg. Pint of keg and a gin and tonic, please. Ah, the class war. Yeah. The class war, gin and tonic and keg. Did we get a little bit of East End barracking then? Yes, he's, he's, he, he, he was trying to make a joke that we were looked like sports commentators but all he could um. shout in his cups was Bobby Moore Bobby Moore oh my god now so I know what that pub is we know what the pub is don't we Because it's the Bow Bells it's the Bow Bells immediately opposite the town hall yeah it's not that dark and dingy is it no it was rather nice I suppose maybe back in the day they would have put frosted glass and curtains over it yeah and it might have been a bit darker but it's actually quite a pleasant pub did you know um, it's uh, haunted it's haunted yeah by traffic noise no. It's haunted by the Phantom Flusher. <laughs> Why are you laughing? And do you know when it started? Basically, apparently what happens is... I'll let that ambulance go. It started in 1974. Okay. In the ladies... The date of publication In of the, the ladies' lavatory in the Bow Bells. Is that um, if you sat down there to do your business and, uh, and then it would uh, randomly flush and catch you by surprise. It, so if you're into into hauntings, it's funny that it started in 1974. Yes. I, what I'm thinking is they had a problem with the drains. Anyway, the good news about this book is there are no women protagonists in it at all, so the ladies' lavatory is never going to feature, is it? Well, there's Judy, his girlfriend. Yeah, but that's it, right? Yeah. There are no, no women doing anything of any authority there in this no. book at all. No, it's right? extraordinary. No teachers, no, uh, no police force. 
N- nobody. Of their, their victims. The, There's not even a woman teacher mentioned at the staff room no, scenes. Exactly. So it's very poor on it's that. It's a score. male male world. So it's a nobody, white male world. Nobody in this book is going to become a victim of the Phantom Flusher. No. Easily. No. Unless they're in the ladies' toilet for another yeah. reason. Well, nobody anywhere is going to fall victim to the Phantom Flusher. So ipso facto, no one in the book is. You're a skeptic, I know. Yeah. We've oh. been led astray with this site. I feel. Yeah, I think it was worth it's, coming here. It's uh, it wasn't a, it's not a good place. No. Uh, it's not it's not filling us with vibes, is it? Well, if you're trying to find all the places on the Regent's Canal where rats might be and attack and plan them, why do you set yourself up here? It's nonsense. It, it is nonsense. nonsense. Foskins paused, indicating that Harris should take a seat, then went on. The brown rat seems to have vanished from London. Since the brown rat is unable to climb as well as the black, over the years it has had less chance to survive in the city. Whereas the black rat is able to scale walls and leap across rooftops, the brown has found it increasingly harder to gain access into premises that have barriers against them. For years the two species have been battling for superiority, and now it appears the black have won. We found no trace of the brown, not even its spores, which are quite different from those of the black. It's natural to assume that the introduction of the freak giant black rats tipped the balance interrupted one of the group of men. Yes, rather like a small country acquiring the hydrogen bomb, continued Foskins. <laughs> well, it seems they completely vanquished the brown rats. It's just nonsense, isn't it? Well, as far as I can tell, that's utter, utter nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's the black rats. It's rat the other way round. Yeah, the black rats. The brown rats extinct. have vanquished the black rats yeah, in London. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. So the brown quick. rats are the ones that have thrived. There's actually three types of rats in London. Oh, So there. the black rat, ratus ratus, also known as the roof rat, the ship rat, or the house rat, Oh, very good. Probably spread across Europe in the wake of the Roman conquests. Um, it had the primary role in spreading bacteria um, during the Black Death yes. from fleas on its body. Fleas. Now, the brown rat, uh, as the stranglers noted, is called Rattus norvegicus. Yes. Uh, bigger and more aggressive than the black rat. Uh, it's also known as the common rat, street rat, sewer rat, wharf rat, Hanover rat, Norway rat, Norwegian rat, and Parisian rat. Oh, right. Now, most of the reason it's called that is because, you know, Londoners and British people are racists. And they wanted, <laughs> They're the Hanover rats. The Hanover, the, they wanted no to call British, it the Hanover. No British rat would be behaving like this. Well, they started appearing in the sort of 18th century when that, you know, House of Hanover was taking off the crown and they were like, you know, oh. the House of Hanover was associated with rats. They started calling it the Hanover oh, rats. Of course, because of um, Hamlin, of course. Probably arrived during the 17th or 18th century and rapidly took over from the black rat. Generally displaced the black rats in areas where humans lived. It's larger, it's more aggressive. And they prefer damp environments such as riverbanks and canals. Of course they do. Okay. The third type of rat first appeared in London in 1976. Came from Ireland. Yeah. Didn't become widespread until the following year. Um, threatened to overrun Britain before finally disappearing in 1986. Of course, the boomtown rat. Oh, shut up. But yeah, so he's got brown and black rats the wrong way around, well, as far as I can tell. He's basically rattist anyway. <laughs> he's terribly rattist. Rats aren't that bad. I sent you. I've a got re- an example of them being quite bad. Oh, have you? Uh, but you carry on. And well, I on. sent you a really lovely link uh, to uh, a woman called Doctor Donna Keen, right. who trains rats to save victims trapped in collapsed buildings after earthquakes. They kit them out with a rat backpack and train them to trigger a switch when they find a victim and come back for a tasty treat. There is another kind of rat, of course, and it's the lab rat. And I didn't realise this. But they are a different species of rat. Did you know that? There's, there's something like 57 different varieties of lab rat, aren't there? They are, very stocks and strains. But they're all based on a, on a particular... The Wistar rat. 
The Wistar rat is an outbred albino rat. So we know that at the end of the book, the master rat is an albino rat, right? The Wistar rat uh, was developed at the Wistar Institute in 1906 for use in biological and medical research. More than half of all laboratory rat strains are descended from the original colony of Wistar rats. So all the lab rats of the world come from this one Wistar colony. That's quite spooky, isn't it? That is quite fun. And the reason, of course, there are variations of them is obviously they they then breed rats for particular forms of um, medical research. So there's the Long Evans rat... Yeah, developed in 1915 by crossing several Wistar females with a wild grey male, utilised to model um, stuff around uh, obesity. The Royal College of Surgeons rat, they have their own rat. <laughs> and then the shaking rat Kawasaki. That goes really fast, that one. <laughs> A mutant rat. I found a really interesting article on the Boston Public Library website okay. about the military history of the rat war in, in, in Boston that's been going on for decades. The rat war? The rat war, the people struggle. The war on rats in Boston. It's been going on since the beginning of the 20th century. They've been, they've been, they've been fighting. But then in 1961, there's the Battle for Back Bay. Uh, called it Doomsday for the Neighbourhood's Rats and praised the campaign's annihilation plans. Total extermination is the goal. <laughs> they got really obsessed with it, apparently, in the early 60s, and it was a really big big thing. Well, the, see, the thing is that, that's interesting about this to me is this article then goes on to say that, that through this Boston rat war, this became the language by which you basically talked about rats was military language, so that you would always talk about continual surveillance and the target area days gnaw at people who live here so it, it, the, the whole metaphor becomes the days that. gnaw at people who live here yeah yeah wow. yeah in 71 the city wasn't content with holding the line against the rat menace the war bosses of boston ordered staff of the model cities program to join the fat fight for a block by block battle to reclaim territory from the old enemy that's in <laughs> 1971 he stopped dead at the spectacle before him his mouth hanging wide Millions of rats swarming all over the station, and big ones like those he'd seen in his own country, but even bigger. His mind didn't even stop to evaluate. He ran without looking back. There was only one place for him to go, the stairs being cut off by a struggling mass of vermin. Without hesitation, he ran down the ramp and into the dark womb of the tunnel. Oh, we went down there. His fear drove him straight into the approaching train, mercifully killing before he mercifully killing him before he was aware of death's presence. Wow. Oh, I think he runs down there. It's on the northbound platform. So we're at Shadwell um, Station on the London Overground. Confusingly, it's called a Londonground Station in the book because it was part of the East London line back in the day when it was an underground station. It was. Um, So this is where another rat attack happens uh, on the Sunday evening before the the carnage at Stepney Green Station the next morning. Black Monday, as they refer to it. Black Monday. Black Monday. Dave Moody is, is getting the train home after seeing his girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, he comes down to Shadwell Station. He sees, he sees the station, a station worker, a coloured station worker, to use the word, language of the book, uh, came into view and walked towards the other end of the platform, entering a door marked private. 
which we think... So it's been relayed out, Shadwell Station. Yeah, the records show that the entrance was uh, on the side street, so on I the main street of Cable Street. The entrance is now flagged on the station as the emergency exit was the old entrance. Yes, you'll see... If you come down here, you'll see a very um, old stone arch, which is clearly a, a more than an emergency exit in its day. Yeah. And then, and then at the end of the platform, which is now the way out, would have been where the, uh, the station master's platform was. Yes, um, and there's several office doors there, there's aren't there? several officers up there. So, so Dave comes down those steps, comes to the station, sees there's a load of rats, tries to run back up and is overwhelmed by them. Yeah. Uh, then the station master comes down the steps where the current exit is, yeah. sees the rats, millions of them, and presumably then runs back towards his office but down the tunnel yeah and that's, an oncoming train that's exactly right him. so it's quite good isn't it that kind of works Shadwell station wise yeah so this might be one place where Herbert's actually sat here and worked it out don't you think but I'd this say. is more his manner isn't it than uh, than uh, over towards Poplar and the Canal I think that's what we're discovering he grew up really. in Whitechapel yeah so that you know the, the Whitechapel is one stop along from Shadwell on the overland now the uh, overground what was the East London line um, so this is one stop away from where he grew up by the end of the week the biochemists had come up with the correct virus they laughed at the teacher's admiration for their speed that wasn't the problem they told him you see we've had the virus itself for many years in fact we inherited it from the Germans after the war mm. along with the triffid seeds along well so that got me thinking about the viral research and viral warfare Yes, and uh, so and I was kind of what looking. What did you at what, find? But uh, there's this guy. Did you uh, did you read about Kurt Blomer? Nope. So Kurt Blomer was a high-ranking Nazi scientist before and during World War Two. Now the, the story basically goes: um, he uh, was researching cancer as a cover for researching viral warfare. Okay. He worked on a methods of storage and dispersal of biological agents like plague, cholera, anthrax, and typhoid, and also infected prisoners with the plague in order to test the efficacy of vaccines. So, you know, lovely stuff. He escaped from um, Poznan in January 1945 ahead of the Red Army, uh, relocated to Western Germany, and brought all his biological cultures with him from Poland. How nice. And was still promising Hitler a Wunderwaffe, a, a wonder weapon that would turn the tide in Germany's favour. He was arrested in Munich by United States counterintelligence, spent some weeks in custody, taken to Kranzberg Castle, a secret message was trans transmitted to Operation Alsos, an Anglo-American team of experts tasked with investigating German-Italian weapons technology. Uh, and the message said, In 1943, Blomer was studying bacteriological warfare, although officially he was involved in cancer research, which was, however, a camouflage. He additionally served as Deputy Health Minister. Would you like to send investigators? So it's basically believed the Americans saved him from being executed Yeah. in exchange for information about biological warfare. He was hired in 1951 by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps. He was not arrested or charged with war crimes, again, after his acquittal. Uh, he continued to practice medicine in West Germany and was active in politics as a member of the National Conservative German Nazi Party. German Party, sorry. Not oh, Party. come on Whoops. now. He died in Dortmund in 1969. Um, so there's that. The other so thing, I, 1969, then what happened to his... Samples. Well, exactly. But the Japanese, they used to drop... They had ceramic bombs mm. filled with fleas charged with bubonic plague. Mm. And they'd drop those. On the Chinese, right? Yeah. Which is like, that's just weird, right? Yeah. A flea bomb. Later on, they're talking about what, what, how did the, where do these rats came from, come from? And they track it down to this chap, Professor William Bartlett Schiller, 
the zoologist. Oh, he sounds a bit German. He'd spent, yeah, he does, doesn't he? He'd spent <laughs> several years in New Guinea and the surrounding islands, apparently investigating reports of mutant animals seen by locals. Quite right. It seems quite feasible for an island in that area had been used for a nuclear test. Quite I feasible. I can't find any indication of nuclear tests in New, New Guinea. No, there isn't the any. The British were testing nuclear Absolute weapons nonsense. in um, Australia, Western yes. Australia, which is new In the late 50s. In the 50s, and also in the South Pacific. Yeah, uh, the Americans were in Marshall Islands, South Pacific, and Nevada, obviously. Yeah, and the French were all in the South Pacific. None of that's no, near New Guinea. No, so what he's on about? It's there. Uh, it's yeah. So the, the 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 sort of nuclear dread thing. That's just a sort of nuclear dread conspiracy theory, isn't yeah. it? Don't you think? Apart from and rather a weakly researched one, I would say. <laughs> well, you say that. Oh, go on. <laughs> go on. <laughs> so you know, we're talking about a land of time forgot. Yeah. <laughs> And how that was all cut off. Yeah. Uh, the, in the film, Doug McClure comes across an island where dinosaurs live on because they've been cut off by yeah. volcanic activity. And, and also some weird new creatures have evolved. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm, I'm on the Smithsonian website, as I normally am, mm. and I come across, uh, dated 2009, new species of giant rat discovered in crater of volcano in Papua New Guinea. No. A, a Smithsonian Institution biologist has discovered a new species of giant rat on a filmmaking expedition to a remote rainforest, rainforest in New Guinea. He's, he's clearly not that threatening because there's a picture of him just cuddling up to it. <laughs> Apparently they're very, very tame it's huge. because they've never met human beings. So they're very, very tame and they're not scared at all. They are now referred to as the Basavi woolly rat. It's one of the biggest rats in the world. Okay. It's completely tame, and it lives in an isolated crater. <laughs> an isolated cottage. <laughs> isolated cottage, <laughs> yes. Silvery grey with thick woolly fur, vegetarian diet. Well, it, well, they think that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it time. Give it time. But it's funny, isn't it? Is they basically said the discovery came in the middle of the night after searching in the crater's chilly mountains. It's basically because it was just it only lives in one volcanic crater and involved in that one crater. Wow. It's never gone out of the crater. Well, we don't know that, do we? Well. Somebody. Okay, well, maybe. Somebody James, a bit German may have packed one up and brought it yeah, down to well, a. Did James Herbert know in the early 70s? I didn't how did he know about that? Years. It's amazing. It's weird, isn't it? It is weird. Why has he picked New Guinea? Slightly creeped out by that. Why has he picked New Guinea? Have a look at this. Oh, gosh. This is the world's largest rat. That is the biggest rat I have ever seen. That is a murid rat, a true rat, the same family as the rats you find in cities and sewers. You've got a big smile on your face. <laughs> the and reason I'm smiling, Gordon, is that this is absolutely uh, a new species. Okay. This is something that doesn't have a scientific yeah. name. This is one of the largest rats in the world, and here we are um, holding it. <laughs> I just think it is an amazing creature found nowhere else on the entire planet. Over the years of rush hour travel, Henry had become an expert on where people lived. It didn't work so well in the mornings, he rarely got a seat, but in the evenings he would position himself in front of a person most likely to get off fairly soon. For instance, the scruffier person, the sooner they reached their destination. Coloured people never went further than West Ham. Well-dressed people often changed at Mile End for the central line. So Isn't we're it? at the Stepney Green. We're at Stepney Green Station. This is Stepney Green Station. And uh, in the book, there's an attack between Mile End and Stepney Green. So the train heading into the city 
full yes. of workers in on a Russia, Monday morning, on a Monday 8.30. Morning. Um, it's, it catches a fire. It's never adequately explained what caused the fire. A faulty cable, maybe. He'd yeah. actually heard of rats chewing through cables. So they come, they, they get off the train, and uh, as they're cl- walking up the tunnel towards Stepney Green Station, the rats attack them. Yes. The next station, Stepney Green, wasn't very far, so he would get them off the train and up the tunnel. But with so many passengers, it would be dangerous. It would be better than have them panic in the confined spaces of the carriages. And yet, yeah. what happens? I notice they still have a guard on the tube train. It mentions the guard. It does. Uh, which actually were being phased out by 1974. Guards on trains. Right, but they still had them. On some lines, yes. But that, again, I feel maybe Herbert is harking back to a time where there was a guard on every train. I feel Herbert may have stopped taking the train, the tube by this time. He probably hadn't noticed that the doors open automatically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been a revolution, revelation to him. I know, I know. <laughs> the other thing that he doesn't, he doesn't mention in the book is that actually, because it's the district line, this is the boring train he thinks. Yeah, so it's a double track tunnel. So ah. most tube lines in London have the train, you know, each track has its own tunnel. So if you were walking down in towards Stepney Green along the tracks, yes. the trains from the other way would be coming towards you. Never uh, mentions that. Never mentions that, does no. he? So all I can think of is they, they... Well, they wouldn't have stopped the trains because they wouldn't have known at that point that the rats were attacking. No, that's right. So actually it's he's missed an point. opportunity there because he could have had rat death and then a train ploughing through from the other way. Could have been absolute carnage. That's a very good point. He could have had double, double trouble. As they stumbled on, they saw rats feeding on the corpses of men and women, people who had set out to work, thinking it would be the usual Monday. Minds filled with small worries and small joys, never expecting to die that day. That was the end of part one of our adventure into James Herbert's The Rats. We've managed to avoid most of the scary bits for you there are more scary bits coming in part two yeah but we're not going to do the we're really not going to read bits them. they're not going to get my parts are they're they read them. they're not going to get anywhere near your uh, your nether regions uh, if you want to hear episode two immediately rather than waiting for a week uh, head over to patreon.com and search for curiosity specific hand over a very small amount of money and you get immediate access to all new episodes as soon as they're ready ad free ad free you get a bunch of other stuff as well, don't you, Tim? Yes, you'll get all the lovely show notes we give you with all these links, all these uh, websites we've researched and bits of history, which uh, and the YouTube clips we found, all that lovely stuff. And all the pictures and videos we took out on the road. That's right. We've got some really great footage of the canal, actually. Some really um, good stuff. So if you get a real flavour of what Tower Hamlets looks like today, yeah. it's rather good. So uh, head over to patreon.com, have a search for Curiosity Specific. Uh, but this episode will be available in a week's time for free wherever you're getting the, your podcasts um, and uh, we'll see you then yes we're going to get to the lock keeper's house aren't we you're a bit worried about this aren't you I don't really want to go there well it's all in the name of podcasting Tim <laughs>